Okay, guys, we are going deep and we are going spiritual. And yep, we're talking about abortion. Couldn't avoid it, have to do it. I hope I'm offering a unique perspective so it'll be worthwhile listening. And if it serves you and blesses you, I hope that you will share it because I feel like this could be a force multiplier and we could really shift culture if people get this in their heart. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Well, of course, we have to jump in to the abortion conversation a little bit further. I've been stewing on it, thinking about it, reading about it, watching these videos. My goodness, it's like everywhere, uh, a little consuming. And I think there is, I actually heard a, a poll yesterday that really was discouraging to me about the amount of people that stand in the pro-choice sphere versus the pro-life sphere. And I wanted to kind of share a little bit about my own journey on this topic because I did not always see it through the pro-life lens. And so, you know, I do want to tackle that. But before I go into this, as always, I feel like there's just a little mini crisis popping up that we need to like draw our attention to. But I was learning a little bit more yesterday. Obviously, we're seeing gas prices go go up and stay up and with no real end in sight or no plan and it seems that the attitude of the administration is a little bit elitist looking down the noses like obviously you know Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Buttigieg of you say his name um, his solution to raising gas prices was for people to buy a Tesla as if that's like the answer for the great majority of people to just go buy a Tesla, like, come on. And there's like this, almost like a snickering attitude about this issue as if like, it's not our problem to solve. Like Jen Psaki keeps, you know, kicking the, it's Putin's problem. It's Trump's problem. It's somebody else's fault. Anyway, my husband and I and family just went to a homeschool conference this past weekend. And I could talk to you about that all day long. I love it learn so much every year that I go. It's the Teach Them Diligently Conference. You should go if you're a homeschool mom. You should go if you're thinking about homeschooling and you should definitely be homeschooling. (laughs) But we went on this trip and, you know, we have a diesel truck and diesel is even worse than gas. We're at about five and a half dollars a gallon. And it was just really, gosh, we're supposed to go on a lengthy road trip this summer. And obviously I know gas prices are high and and whatever, but it was really just a, a... we confronted this issue head on with like, man, we are spending so much money on diesel. And then come to find out yesterday and the day before, we're actually facing a, I mean, we, I knew my husband was telling me we're having a diesel shortage. There's a diesel shortage. And learning yesterday and the day before that it really is not just a shortage, it's a critical shortage. We're approaching, especially on the East Coast, like critical shortages in diesel And, you know, you think about, oh man, my road trip might get canceled. You know, it's like, no, 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 let me, it's not that. Trains run on diesel. 
all of the semis that drive your food and your every other thing that you buy at the store runs on diesel. Of course, our own cars, some of them runs on diesel. The tractors that harvest your food run on diesel. You know, the trains are bringing fertilizer to the farms. There, this is such a crisis that is like kind of flying under the radar a little bit. And it will, it's, it's just another piece contributing to the food insecurity in this country and that's got to be an episode coming up here soon this like food insecurity and you know of course our answer my husband and I we've founded he has founded a tech company called grazer g-r-a-z-r dot net it'll be linked in the show notes I encourage you guys to take a peek at that watch the video but if you know of a farmer who would like to sell meat direct to a consumer, let them know about Grazer because it is it is a live marketplace and they can go online, set up a profile and sell their beef directly to consumers without having to go through the USDA or any of those things. You can learn about it a little bit on grazer.net. But, you know, God gave us this idea, this idea years ago and we've been, you know, kind of stewarding it to fruition and it's coming to fruition kind of at this critical moment where we're, we're really starting to see just the beginnings of food insecurity. But if you're watching, if you're connecting the dots, you're seeing an extreme food insecurity coming our way. And it's, it may not be that there is no food on the shelves, but it might be that the food is so expensive that is on the shelves that it's going to price you out of a lot of the things that you like, like meat, which of course is the goal of the Great Reset and all of that. There's so much to this. I just wanted to put that on your radar. We keep telling you, you know, we keep talking about preparing and, you know, I feel like God gives us glimpses and clues as to what's coming and what he's going to do. And we know that there's going to be famine. We know that that's something that's prophesied. Of course, we don't always know the when, but we know hard times are upon us. And I was actually just yesterday, I finished homeschool, y'all, yesterday. Praise God, four years of homeschool on the books. I can't even, oh, it's always such a blessing when I get through and I'm like, we learned. And we ended our history year talking about the Great Depression and what came of that, who was affected by that, how overnight of a situation that was. And then pretty much right roll, you know, shortly thereafter, we rolled into the Dust Bowl, which, of course, affected, you know, the Grapes of Wrath. It affected our food supply, but also really dramatically affected a whole lot of families who were not even able to, you know, they had nothing, nothing, not even able to feed themselves. So that was not that long ago, you guys. This this is a very real reality here in the United States. So I wanted to put that fresh on your radar to, again, if the Lord is tugging you to be moving out of the area that you're in, if he is tugging you to start a garden or get that extra freezer for that extra beef or to buy some more at the store when you go, some canned goods or what have you, listen to these nudges. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Listen to these nudges. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that for today, but there is an episode coming. There has to be. Okay, abortion. I, like so many people my age, used to be pro-choice. And this, if you would have forced me, I was not a believer when I was in college, or I, I was not a believer until my mid to late 20s. So this, my, my stance on abortion was not really swayed at all by a religious view. However, now that I am a Christian, I feel like there's very clearly one, one lens to look through and we'll get there. But in college, you know, gosh, <laughs> you're basically 
almost always pro-choice in, in your teens and in college. That's like for sure the cultural. And it, it's, you know, that I remember that being like a prominent conversation because myself, unfortunately, and a lot of my peers were obviously very sexually active in that time. I hate to say it, um, but that is my story. And, um, you know, although I would have said at that time that I myself would have probably been pro, pro-life, like if I were to have been put in that position, I think I would have made the decision to keep the pregnancy. Of course, I can't say I'm very, very grateful that I was never put in that position. Although I will confess, cause I'm all about transparency and authenticity that more than one time I took the morning after pill. So some would view that as a potential abortion and I, I don't know. Right. Um, and I'm sad. I'm, I'm, sad that that is the the truth, but in full transparency, I'll share that. But I would say that I don't know if I would have chosen that for myself. However, I did not think that I could take that right away from someone else, right? And this informs a lot of us politically. I think most people actually fall in the libertarian category in terms of where, you know, where you might identify as a voter. I myself don't, you know, align very completely with the Republican Party at all. I would call myself a conservative before, or actually a conservatarian is really what I would call myself. But um, I would say I'm a conservative way before I would say I'm a Republican because I feel like Republicans have lost sight of what conservatism is in so many ways, like the establishment, the GOP, the larger Republican Party. And of course, um, I used to be a, a registered Democrat. I, I think that the the left has left a lot of people <laughs> towards the middle and become very radical to one side. And I think a lot of people don't know where to where to fall because they would say they're a Democrat, but now the Democratic, you know, title or, or you know, connotation says or labels you as very far in one direction. And oftentimes a lot of people don't resonate with that and don't feel like they identify with the far left policy that has become the larger Democratic Party. But I would say if people really understood what libertarian is, which is really standing in personal rights, first and foremost, individual protection, you know, then I think a lot of people would be libertarian. Oftentimes libertarians find themselves more conservative in the financial fiscal land. And then in the social, you know, concepts and issues, it they often are more liberal. And what I mean by that is like gay marriage as an example. I can't, although I personally, that's not my life and I, I wouldn't choose that. And I, you know, I have my thoughts about it, which don't really matter because I'm not God. And so it doesn't matter what I think about that. But I don't know politically if I would stand in voting against that to be the right of somebody, somebody else. So do you see that's more of a libertarian stance is where what you think about it doesn't really matter, but you're not willing to take away the right from, of, from someone else, you know, if that's what they want to do. So this is hard for me because the older I get, the more grounded in my faith I become, the more I am forced to lay down my own thoughts and surrender my own view and try to see it through the lens of God. Because like I said, it doesn't really matter what I think. I want to be surrendered less of me and more of you, Lord. So I want to, I want what you want, Lord, <laughs> whatever your heart is for this is where I want to line up. And ultimately that's where I am at with the abortion issue. And I feel like 
the church at large maybe needs to hear that a little bit. And again, this is not me standing in a judgmental place of we're doing it wrong, but I do want to offer some perspective to the church at large and just as, and us also as individuals in how we handle this abortion conversation because I feel very, very strongly about it now that there is absolutely no question that God knits us all, you know, in our mother's womb. He numbered our days before we were ever born. You know, there is so much in God's word about the sanctity of life and that all life is God breathed and that this is a, a very scientifically, a very separate life. I'm not here to make an argument about when life begins. I don't think there's an argument to be made. It's very clear. And I, you know, recently came across um, in Congress, they're talking about, we have lots of laws protecting turtle eggs on the beach and, you know, various <laughs> animal uh, preserves to make sure that, that the eggs, the unborn babies of these animals are protected and that humans can actually be, you know, it's against the law for you to dig up a turtle nest and damage or touch or disturb the eggs. Well, why? Why if those are not yet a life, right? It's an unborn turtle. It is, it is not a fully developed turtle. Like however you want to say, why do we have laws protecting that life and recognize that preborn life? And then we are trying to argue it in human, in humanity. It's, it's wild. There's so much inconsistency here, but let's just pretend <laughs> that we're not going to argue the case for abortion or not. What I have learned on this journey in my faith is that I have to see it through God's eyes. And that has moved me more in the pro-life direction. Like I said, I started, again, not, not being a believer and being very much swallowed up by the ways of the world and, and recognizing that there is trauma that happens to women. I am among women who has had trauma happen to us. I recognize that there are a number of, of ill circumstances that a baby can be conceived um, for a, a, a myriad of reasons that a baby could be conceived that is not great, not, not a great reason, be it rape or incest or, or just you're, not, you're too young or you're not financially ready or whatever. There's a number of reasons that a lot of people feel justify abortion. But again, I'm sure you've heard this argument that one wrong you know, another, a second wrong doesn't rectify the first wrong. The trauma is done to the rape victim or the incest victim and, and, you know, eliminating that pregnancy doesn't undo the trauma. And in a lot of ways, it creates more trauma, more shame, more guilt, more separation from God, more separation from peers, from church, right? Um, and that's something that you carry for a lifetime. That's so you go from trauma being done to you to trauma that you choose to do. There's a difference there. I read a book and I would recommend this, The Stolen Life by J.C. Dugard. And it was so, this was years ago that I read this book and it really started me on my journey from pro-choice to pro-life <laughs> where this, if y'all, if y'all remember, J.C. Dugard was kidnapped out of South Lake Tahoe. And that's why it, I remember it from my own childhood because she was kidnapped very near where my parents had a cabin. And so I knew exactly the area. I, I myself was a girl of that same age running around the neighborhood, not really supervised necessarily. So that really, I remember seeing the signs of the, the suspects and the car during that time. And J.C. Dugard was gone. She was kidnapped and held captive for something like 18 years, could be somewhere around 18 years. 
And this book, A Stolen Life, is her story about that time in captivity. And in the end, as we now know, she was, she did escape and she was reunited with her family, of course, with uh, just a tremendous amount of trauma. And during that time in her captivity, she gave birth to two children. I believe she was like 12 or 13 years old when she gave birth to the first baby and, um, you know, somewhere in the 15 year old land when she gave birth to the second baby. Of course, both of those babies were the, um, I mean, she was raped for all that time that she was in captivity. She was raped by this older, you know, gentleman that had kidnapped her. So these babies were conceived under these circumstances. And as you read the story, I was so amazed at how she was speaking about once she had these children, the amount of love that she had for these babies and the gratitude she felt for having had the babies because now she had a purpose in her captivity. Now she had comfort in her captivity. She had direction in her captivity. She had um, company, if you will. She had something to do. She had people with her, other souls in her shed in the backyard where she was being kept for all those years. It gave her a purpose and a, and a direction that none of us would ever say on this side of that trauma would be possible on the other side of that trauma, right? It doesn't make sense in the natural that something as traumatic and as long-term trauma as that should have any purpose in it, should have any goodness in it, should be, there should be no blessing in it. And yet here we are, and she's sharing this story about this. And in the end, it was her children who gave her the strength and the purpose and the direction to escape. It was for them that she knew she had to keep a clear head and she had to be smart and she had to be wise and obedient and ultimately escape. Now, that just touched my heart so much. And this was when I was still in the pro-choice land. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I would have never, I would have never seen it that way. I would have never thought that. And of course, she's not making an argument in her book at all about pro-life or pro-choice. There's no question about it. It was just an example of how purpose sometimes comes from pain. And it was a beautiful story. And I saw it through a different lens. And I thought, you know, the Bible tells us that what the enemy means for evil, God will turn for good. And this was a great example of, of trauma and just a terrible circumstance that obviously the enemy meant to just steal every steal destroy right everything from her and god turned it for good and gave her direction and purpose in it and i know that that's that's not a unique story i've i've now in this you know as this conversation is kind of coming to a boiling point we're seeing lots of content about it i've seen a number of videos where the children the adult children who could very well have been aborted by the teenage mother um one in particular instance a 12-year-old mother who was raped by a 21-year-old decided not to get an abortion, had a baby, and now the you know adult mother of her own children is very emotionally talking about the choice her own mother made to have her at such a young age under terrible trauma and terrible life circumstances. A 12-year-old, are you kidding me? And she's so emotional at the, at the chance for her own life that she was given and blessed with the chance to have her own life. And she is very successful and has these, now has her own children. And gosh, 
I'm just seeing it through a different lens, right? And I'm seeing it through God's lens. I'm, I'm surrendering and I'm, I'm easily able to do that and more and more aligning with his will. When you surrender your own thoughts about it, oftentimes God's able to just download the way that he views it. And it's so easy for your heart to come into alignment with the way that he sees this issue or any issue. And gosh, honestly, when I saw on Mother's Day, lots of videos of the handmaid's tale, people dressed like handmaid's tales, walking into churches, you know, I I just thought, you know, this isn't even worthy of us pointing out that this is evil. It's so clearly evil and spiritual. This is such a spiritual battle. When I see people marching into church, I'm like, come on, you're not showing up at, you're not marching outside on a street somewhere. You're marching into church on purpose. You're trying to elicit a specific response. This is spiritual. You might not recognize that it's spiritual. You might not believe in God or in the devil, but the de- that de- that's not required. For you to believe in the devil is not required for him to use you in his evil schemes. And I could see videos like that and I could just stand by and say, that is evil. This is evil. We are fighting a battle in the spirit realm right now. And we have normalized this in culture so much that most people, Christians included, would stay in the pro-choice space because they cannot or will not desire to see it through God's eyes, to surrender their own thoughts and say, I want, I want what you want, Lord. I want to defend what you want me to defend. I want to stand where you want me to stand, even if it costs me, even if it costs me, costs me friends or costs me, you know, arguments. I don't know. And I want to say also, this is where I see the church failing tremendously on this issue. There's no place for people with abortion in their past to move. We are, and I'm guilty of this myself, when we say things really, really extreme, like abortion is murder, it, that's one way to say it. And I don't think that that's an untrue statement. I agree with that statement in, in its you know, context and sentiment. However, when I say, say something like that to someone who has had an abortion and is looking for the grace and mercy of Jesus, do you think they feel like maybe they can receive it here at church or from you as a Christian? Or even, I mean, we're just, I'm just going to talk about the church right now (laughs) because that is, that is hard language. If you are going to say abortion is murder, then you have to say, but Jesus's blood covers it. We have to include the message of salvation alongside this argument, guys, because there are Christians, there are people like me who in my 20s had a different lifestyle entirely to the lifestyle I'm living living now in my 30s, a different worldview than the, the worldview I have now in my 30s. I'm now a mom. I wasn't then. I mean, I couldn't have a different perspective now more so than than the lens I was looking through then. And had I made that choice or even knowing that I took the morning after pill more than one time in my youth, I feel that shame. And when I hear those comments and statements, although I know they're true, I am rooted in the salvation that I have. I know I'm covered and forgiven for that. But someone who is not as secure in their faith or someone who is looking for a way out of that shame, we need to make sure that we're including the message of salvation over these proclamations, right? That yes, that is 
a, a wrong choice. You know, that is a, a sin, if you want to put it mildly. That is the death of your own baby. Yes, this is tragic and sad. And even if there was a rape or, a, or some other traumatic circumstances that resulted in that pregnancy, let me just tell you right now that there is healing and that there is salvation and that there is restoration and that there is redemption with Jesus for all of that for all that you walked through in up to and including an abortion or anything of the like there is salvation redemption and restoration and healing we need to be preaching that message more than we need to be preaching the message that abortion is murder <laughs> we need to give these people a place to move to because i'm telling you a great majority of the pro-choicers have abortion in their past and they're not they're they have to cling to this side of this argument because to stand on the other side is to condemn themselves and if there's no way out of that condemnation then why on earth would you ever cross over that line why would you come over to the pro-life you know side of things if you're not a believer if you have abortion in your past the only way out there is no condemnation in christ jesus the only way out is through jesus so if we're not keeping that door open, if we're not making sure to usher people through that open gate, then we're doing it wrong. Then we're bringing condemnation and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is conviction. There is conviction for those of us who are believers from Holy Spirit, but there's no condemnation. And what we're doing largely as a church is we're putting out a big, fat, large condemnation message. We need to be careful. This is our opportunity for a tremendous amount of ministry. This is our opportunity to almost, I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. Rebrand the church, right? Rebrand the church. We don't need to be about hate. We don't need to be about judgment. We don't need to be about condemnation. We do that so poorly. I mean, we, we're doing that way too much, guys. And I'm, I'm totally guilty. Please know I'm not. I'm preaching to the mirror here. But we need to give these people a place to move to. A place through an open gate of salvation, redemption, restoration, and healing. Because it's only on this side. And through the lens of Jesus, we will all see this issue for exactly very black and white that it is, that abortion is not the way we should be moving in this country. That's not the direction we should be going. However, I'm going to go one step further in a failure of the church and an opportunity. I hate to say it. There is a failure of the church here, but I also see on the other side of a failure as an opportunity for a course correction. And I feel like God is trying to move our hearts back into alignment with his will. And this is an opportunity for us if we can open our eyes and see. So Holy Spirit has been revealing to me the last you know week or so, why do we have such a crisis of abortion? Why do we have a million babies a year or something ridiculous being aborted? What, what is happening? Why are so many people not wanting their children? Because I've had three pregnancies. I'm very blessed in that I have brought all three of those pregnancies to healthy babies. Thank you, Jesus. And all of them I, I wanted, <laughs> all of those pregnancies I wanted because I was with the love of my life, my husband, when I conceived those babies, I was married. And I wonder if we would have a crisis of abortion, if we would even be having this conversation, if we were really walking in alignment with God's will for us, which is to not have babies outside of marriage, to not have 
sex outside of marriage. What if we raised up, what if we realigned ourselves? whoever's hearing this, whatever age you are, I don't care if you're 65 and you have a live-in boyfriend, if you are 35 and recently single or living with your boyfriend, I don't care if you're 21 and living with your boyfriend. What if we, starts with ourselves, what if we aligned our heart, surrendered our own will and fleshly desires and surrendered our own heart to God's will and started living in alignment with it, which is to say, get married or get separate apartments. And a lot of us would say, well, the damage is done. I'm not a virgin. It's already been done, blah, blah, blah. I hear you. I hear you. And actually, even a year ago on this specific issue, I feel like I was sitting in a little bit of a different place, maybe a gray area. I was, I was not sure how, where I sat on this. Like if the damage is done specifically, I had a friend who had been, you know, she has a son with her boy, a long, long time boyfriend. And she was engaged to be married now to this boyfriend. And she came to me and asked me, they've been trying to have a baby for a really long time. And she said that her church had told her, you guys, if now that you're engaged to be married, you need to move into separate bedrooms and do the whole thing until your marriage. And she asked me if I thought that that was the appropriate thing to do. She was really put off by that. I mean, she's like, obviously we have a kid, like this, this ship has sailed, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, I'm sad because I didn't know really what advice to give her in that time. I feel like we're always on our faith walk, right? We're always having things revealed to us. And I missed an opportunity. I did in the end text her a little bit later and told her, you know what, I feel like maybe that's an okay thing. Like maybe that's not a bad thing. Or like go to the courthouse. If you guys are engaged, this is what Tom and I did. We got engaged on June 6th. We got married June 16th and we had a wedding a year later because I was like, as soon as we were engaged, we know we're getting married. I'm just gonna go to the courthouse, make this thing legal, right? Because we were living together. It wasn't because of a conviction <laughs> that I had at the time, but I'm glad I did it that way. I'm glad I did it that way. But I would say, what if we aligned ourselves, starting with ourselves, aligned ourselves with God's will immediately right now? So if you are not walking in his will, which is to say you're living with someone you're not married to, what if you stopped? What if you moved into separate rooms even? What if you got married? What if you committed the right way, God's way to each other and had a God honoring relationship? What if we made that step? And then what if we taught our kids to do that? What if we went back to that expectation? And I remember having a conversation with another family member not too long ago that, you know, my daughter is 10. <laughs> and so we were talking about my expectation, my expectation, my hope and prayer is that all of my children will save themselves till marriage, till marriage, not until the person they're going to be married to until marriage. Now, my family member told me that's an unrealistic expectation in the culture today. And I hear her. I understand that's true. However, I know several of my friends at my age who did that in this culture, the exact culture we live in now. They did it anyway. And I'm so encouraged by their example, however rare that it is, because all of them are still married. All of them. And it's not that they've had easy marriages, but they're all still married and they all really appreciate the sanctity of that bond that they have. And in most cases, the husband was also a virgin coming into the marriage. Of course, yes, these convictions came from aligning their hearts with God's will. This wasn't an accident. It was putting God's will before their own will. It was putting boundaries to protect their flesh from God's or, you know, protect their flesh from sin so that they could walk in God's will. What if we did that and then we taught our children to do that? Do you think 
10 years from now, we'd be having the same issue with abortion that we're having now. If, if the great majority of us were in marriages before we started having sex, as opposed to the great majority of us who are not in marriages when we start having sex, or even we're in our teens when we start having sex versus in our 20s when we start having sex. Do you think that we would be having the same conversation about abortion? I just don't think we would. And Heidi St. John, I love her. She has a great podcast. You should follow it. She's in Washington. She's running for Congress because she's a homeschool mom of seven. And that's what we like to do, just conquer the world. But I remember a couple years back when I heard her speak, she said that the church is drawing lines in weird places (laughs) and what she meant is you know to put it in the context of this conversation i feel like all of a sudden those of us in the church who are very pro-life are standing on this issue so firm no no no. we're drawing the line here we're drawing the line here guys we are pro-life we're not killing babies and i'm like we want to draw the line here that's what heidi said we're drawing the line here y'all the line is way back there the line's not here That's our mistake. This is where we get legalistic. This is where we show up with our stones to show, you know, to stone the woman who was caught in adultery in the Bible. Jesus, she, she, you know, was cheating on her husband. We caught her in the act. We bring her to you. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone, right? That's where we're standing, church. We're on the wrong line. We're, we're over here going, Jesus, look at these people. Look at these people and what they're doing. This is sin. This is terrible. We're standing on the line. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, who's going to throw a stone? Who's going to throw a stone? Because we're standing on the wrong line, church. (laughs) The, the, The line is way back there where our heart posture should be. The line isn't here where we're now trying to argue why we shouldn't be killing babies. The line is back where we should argue why we shouldn't be having them to begin with. There's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be engaging in, you know, sexual acts at the ages we are. We're not responsible enough. If it does result in a pregnancy, we're not financially in a place where we can have a a baby at that point. And I I know this isn't going to necessarily solve the issue of rape and incest, but maybe it is. What if we flipped the entire culture of this country in just one generation to a heart posture that is bent towards God? Do you think we'd have nearly the, the crime that we have? Do you think we'd have nearly the incest that we have? I'm telling you, there's no condemnation, but there is conviction. There is conviction of this wrongdoing. And it's not like the very first wrongdoing that someone ever does is rape somebody. There's a lot of wrongdoing where there's no conviction for a really long time before that. So what if the church was just more aligned with God's will from a heart posture, not from a legalistic stance, a a legalistic perspective, what if? So that's my challenge for us as, you know, church members. If you are somebody that you know I can take that step in my personal life right now today, I encourage you to do that. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things I would say pray about it. You don't have to pray about this one. You don't have to pray about this one. We know exactly where God sits on this. We know exactly where God sits on this. So you can go ahead and make that move. And if you have kids, I don't care if they're 10 or 21, what if you started to encourage them in this life? What if you started to encourage them to surrender their own flesh and submit to God's will, especially if they're believers? Goodness gracious, we have got to start moving backwards towards our heart posture, being aligned with God and not stand so firmly on these lines that put us in a position of judgment. This is the enemy winning again. 
It's the enemy winning again. So that's what God has been putting on my heart about this issue. Obviously, there's, it's so nuanced. There's so much here. But those are the things I wanted to share because I feel like those are just, they're not simple. <laughs> I was going to say simple little tweaks we can make, like share, share the, the restoration and the redemption of Jesus and like be celibate. Like <laughs> I recognize that those are not necessarily easy pivots, but it ain't easy, guys. It ain't easy to live on earth in, in Satan's world, right? We got to align our heart with God. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, help us today, tomorrow, and always to surrender our flesh and submit to your will. Lord, I just pray if there is conviction that needs to happen in your church, Lord, that you would do that work and that we would have ears to hear that we would have ears to hear what you are sharing with us and directing us, Lord. We know that your word is true and that your word is a lamp to our feet. It directs us in the way that we should go for our good. And we know that you are using all of this evil that we see for our good. We trust that. We trust in you. We trust in your sovereign plan. Help us to align with it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.